All right, good morning. Okay, I want to give you a chance before we even pray to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Uh, you can do that. You can pull out your phone and just type in uh, 2 Timothy 1, and you'll have probably five different hits that'll bring you to that chapter. Doesn't matter to me. Uh, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. I'll give you a chance to open up there before we pray. Good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. Jesus, I ask and we ask that you do a profound work this morning. God, uh, please remove me from the equation. Speak faithfully to the hearts and minds of each and every person that's in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Do the work that you and you alone can do. Stretch us, guide us, lead us, and direct us uh, on Mother's Day. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. You may have wondered uh, why I'm, my, my tone is maybe slightly somber. I'm just not all in Mother's Day. Woo! You know, um, trying to be kind of careful. And here's what I mean. If uh, you have a great family, okay, you love Christmas and you love Thanksgiving. And it's easy to just see things through that filter. Uh, you know, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. However, if half of your family is crazy okay, uh, then all you do is, is eat a lot of, you know, Tums moving into those two times of year. Stomachs in knots, you're not looking forward to it, the discussions are strained until somebody brings up that one topic, and then it's awkward, and then uh, everyone goes home. So I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that uh, Mother's Day is probably the most emotional day that we will deal with as a church, period. More than Christmas, more than Easter, more than any other time of the year, like this is it, okay? And so, um, and here's why, in case you haven't thought of it with this lens, okay? We have women this morning uh, who wanted to be mothers and are not. We have mothers who haven't heard from their children. We have mothers who maybe deep down are disappointed in their children. We have mothers who have lost their children. Maybe it was a miscarriage. Maybe they died young. We have mothers uh, who had an abortion. And every so often they're reminded of that pain. Or of that guilt. Or of that shame. We have mothers uh, who have married a man with children. And now they've stepped into that weird space. That tightrope. Of, of raising children uh, that they didn't actually have, but now they are their children. It's a weird line to walk. We have mothers who work all day and come home and pick up the pieces and then lovingly guide and love and nurture their children. So they put in a full day's work only to come home and then clock in again, right? We have mothers who lose their minds all day and can't wait for their husbands to get home. So that they can just have an hour to themselves. I mean, that's Mallory. What I tell people is, uh, I'm the senior pastor of a church, but she has the hard job. That's just insanity with an 11-week-year-old and a 2-year-old. And some of you uh, have experienced that, or your mother's experienced that. Um, they were trapped watching you. Or, I'm sorry, they got to watch you, right? Okay. Uh, mothers who, for a myriad of reasons... Um, had to stand strong and had to stand tall as both the leader of their home, uh, the enforcer in their home, the disciplinarian in their home, and the nurturer. 
Our single mothers, for a whole host of reasons, had to be both parents. You have mothers who are normally called grandmothers, but they came out of retirement. And now they're stepping up in another generation of kids. Uh, we have aunts, sisters, and family friends who, for whatever reason, is whatever's happened in that particular family has had to step into a space, this weird void, this vacuum that was created for one reason or another, and they're the ones that speak hard truth. They're the ones who are there to answer the phone at 11 p.m. or 2 a.m. Uh, to receive the phone call of, of a kid that's in distress that's not even their child. But yet they function as a mother and they leverage that relationship and even leverage losing that relationship by filling in that gap. Um, and so no matter where you are on that continuum this morning, I hope and pray that what we're going to go through brings you peace and comfort and encouragement. And if you're here feeling beat up or now guilty and you didn't, you know, 10 minutes ago, and now it's like, wow, you brought all that up. Thanks for nothing. Uh, that uh, I would, uh, God's word would draw you into such a way that you would leave here with a profound sense of peace and wholeness and encouragement for who God is, that God actually has a purpose for your life, that God allowed you to endure the things for whatever reason that he did, and it is for a reason. It is for a reason. I wanted to think about this for a second, like uh, mothers, like a, like a job description. If you really thought about a mother's job description, it is a job that no one in this room would take. Okay? If, if you saw something online with the chance to take on the job of a mother without it saying, oh, your job is a mother, okay? You would not take this job. Okay, so number one, if you wanted to say, okay, what's the job description? What does it pay? Oh, it pays, I don't know, uh, 50000 a year. Okay, great. Okay, what's the job description? Well, number one, you're going to have to clean human poop. Okay? No laughter in here. I love that. That's great. They'll laugh at 10.30, I think. We'll see. Uh, but just imagine that. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, next, if you're a young mom, you have to wake up every three hours. You prepare meals, which half of which end up on the floor, by the way. You, uh, showering is optional if you're a really young mother with multiple kids. Uh, you have to do etiquette, chauffeur, maid, tutoring, and a mentor service. Of course, you have to offer to those children as well. You have arts and crafts expertise because we all know that the science project that was assigned to your kid, you really end up doing... Okay, I know you can all relate to that on some level. Relationship counseling and grief care. You know, when your kid's in teenage years and their first love breaks up with them and they think they're just going to die and their world's over, who steps in? Mom, right? Uh, you're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No sick days. And actually, in fact, there's no pay. And not only is there no pay, you actually pay to do this. You signed up for this abuse. Uh, you get thanked formally one time a year. And you get to retire when you die. That's a mother's job description. So, thank you, moms. Thank you. Alright, let's check out 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7. to Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. 
recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now here's what's interesting. There's two other uh, references to Grandmother Lois and the Mother Eunice. Uh, Acts 16.1 says this, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. 2 Timothy 3.15 And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through, through faith in Christ Jesus. So let me just kind of recap here before we move forward. Uh, this is really profound that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And in case we forgot, let's just Cliff Notes version here. Uh, this is a church that Paul left and 10 years later, in a matter of 10 years, has gone completely off the rails. They're preaching heresy like you wouldn't believe. Now, this protege of Paul, his name is Timothy. At this point, he's about 35 years of age. He had followed Paul around in his ministry for over 20 years. And finally, Timothy's ready. Timothy gets the assignment of this church in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor. He leaves him there and is now writing him these letters to support him in the work that he has to do because they have all kinds of problems. And so this letter would be read out loud to everyone, just like we did. He'd go through the whole thing. And so what you have this morning is a letter written from Paul to his protege. And one of the things he's highlighting is this faith that was passed on from his grandmother to his mother and on to him. This is really profound that you would have this highlighted portion of Scripture that what's being passed on is this beautiful legacy that even Paul would look at and say, this woman is who she, or, or this man is who he is because of these two generations that came before him and the faith that was passed down. Now here's what you have to think about. What if God this morning didn't give you a Lois or a Eunice? In other words, what if you're sitting here this morning, I've already touched on it a few times in the service, where you didn't have someone who had this legacy that they passed on to. Matter of fact, the relationship may have even been stressed or strained. You know, whenever I was a youth minister, I ran into this all the time. I was over 7th through 12th graders. And with the direction and the things that are going on in the home, the average home in America today, I had no shortage of issues to deal with. And by and large, what you ended up ha uh, happening is I would have teenagers in my office trying to understand what's happening with their parents, be it a divorce, be it the way that one parent just took off and bolted, the way they have a whole myriad of issues. And you have kids many times stuck dealing with this mess and stuck dealing with trying to understand it and then trying to deal with, is it something I did? Could I be a better kid? Could I do something better that would have kept them together? And could I be a, a better child that would make my dad stay? So on and so forth. And I, I just want to pause here for a second because um, Timothy had the benefit of these two amazing generations. But maybe you this morning... Uh, can't relate to that at all. Just not at all. 
And I, I want to share something with you that isn't meant to um, whitewash your experience, but I do believe it's absolutely true. And this is what I would tell our kids sometimes. Sometimes it's not about the mother that God gave you. Sometimes it's about the son or daughter that God gave your mother. Does that make sense? So sometimes God has faithfully done something in you as the child and it feels powerless and it feels broken and in the way that we would measure it may very well be the case. But don't discount what God put in you as a kid. And don't discount the purpose that God gave you as a child as you grew up as a teenager into a young adult into an adult here this morning. There's something beautiful even in the midst of brokenness that God wants the world to know through your life. And sometimes it's about what he put into you despite the brokenness and the darkness. So one thing I, I want you to understand is that if you're a, a, a parent this morning, specifically moms, not to parent absent of the gospel. In other words, your identity is in Jesus. So in other words, you're not defined by your past. That's what that means. It's just one plus one plus one kind of thing. If you're defined by the gospel, then you're not defined by who you were. You're not defined by the things that you have done. In other words, here, your past. Your decisions that you made before you were a mother. I can't tell you the number of people I've sat across who become permissive parents. Why? Why, Why are they permissive? Well, because I did that as a kid. <laughs> so, I walked off a cliff when I was 15, so I'm going to let my kid do it. Oh, good. Why? Because they feel guilty. Who cares? So you live in the gospel. Yes, I was a moron. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I'm a new creation in Christ. That doesn't matter. Son, daughter, I love you. Yes, mommy did that. You're still grounded. And then move on. That's living in the gospel. That's living in your present. When Satan does that, you remind him of what hell will be like in the fullness of time. And then tell him to go there. And then live in the gospel. So you're not defined by your decisions that you made. Um, maybe sometimes you have a, a parent or a mother whose mother made bad decisions. Therefore, they're a complete reactionary parent. So my childhood was out of control. And now I'm the total opposite. And I've got life on a chokehold. That'll backfire too. Once again, living in the gospel, living in freedom, understanding that Jesus and, and, and God, your gracious Father, holds all things in the palm of his hand, including the lives of those little ones that he's blessed you with. Maybe even your bad decisions as a parent. Maybe you've had a few years, maybe even had a season where you made some bad choices. You said some things that you would love to reel back in, okay? And it's too late. It was already out there. Living in the gospel means you are free to approach your child. If that's the case, acknowledge what's been said. Acknowledge what's been done. You don't need to fear being defined by it. Because once again, you're defined by the gospel. You're able to have that awkward conversation. And then watch reconciliation happen. Sit back and watch the work that Jesus will do. I want to share with you something out of Titus chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 to 4. 
You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach which is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. In other words, here's what he's saying in Titus, that women, all women in this space, you have a legacy to offer. Whether you have children or not, you have a legacy that you're offering to the next generation. You have a generation that's watching you. You have a generation that's taking notes, even when you think they're not. They are. And so what they're saying in Titus is, all women have a responsibility. You have a certain kind of wisdom to pass on. Can I just say, I know we don't have a ton of kids in here in this service. Uh, but, kids, those of you that are kids in here, okay, and there's a handful of you are like, wow, there's only five of us, and now I know he's talking to me, but that's too bad. All right, uh, here's a couple of things you really need to think about saying today. Are you ready? All my, all my younger kids listening, okay. Number one, you may need to look at mom today and say, I'm sorry. Sorry for disrespecting you. Sorry for not listening to you. Okay? Uh, you made to look at your mom. Here's a good one on Mother's Day. Look at your mom straight in the eye and say thank you. Two words. Okay? Here's, here's three. Here's three words. If two, if you can do the two-word one, try the three-word one. I love you. So kids... Uh, I'm not asking you to do it right now, but before uh, this day's over, you need to look at your mom and tell you love her. You're blessed to have her. You're blessed to have her. Now, here's what I'd like you to do now. Is I thought this would be helpful this morning, and, and normally I don't put a lot of scripture up on uh, the screen. Normally we just read through what we're going to read through, but I thought it would be helpful to examine Mary's life with Jesus and think about Mary a little bit as a mother, uh, now, let me be clear. Those of you that are uh, recovering Catholics, okay, and, and you've joined, <laughs> no, 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 there's some of you in here. Uh, recovering Catholics, I know, the, I know which ones it is because they're the biggest grins in here. Um, I want to walk a fine line with our hardcore Lutherans and our Catholics, okay? Uh, I want to talk about the relationship of Mary to Jesus as a mother, okay? Let me be clear. Jesus died for Mary, okay? I can, I talk to my mother, her name's Rosemarie, okay? I don't need a rosary to talk to her, it's just my mom, okay? That's my mom. Uh, Jesus died for Mary, but this was an incredible woman, and I'd like us to look at this relationship and see the touch points that you in here may recognize as a parent. And here is Luke 1, 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is affectionately called Mary's song. Mary realized and just learned that she's going to be carrying the Savior of the world. And what this song is, essentially, is Mary's humble acknowledgement that God has actually grafted her into his story to the point that she's going to carry not only the Savior of the world, but the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies are going to come through her womb. She is greatly humbled by this moment. Overjoyed. Moms, maybe some of you this morning can relate to that. The moment when you found out you were pregnant. The shock and the disbelief that there was actually a human being that's going to grow inside of you. And for Mary, Mary's song is about not only that realization that she's going to be with child, but it's also that she is carrying the Savior of the world. Luke 2, 16 to 19. And this is the birth of Jesus. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, been told to them, about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What does that mean, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart? In other words, Mary just soaked it all in. She recounted every bit of it. Mary lived absolutely in the moment. She, she completely absorbed the shepherds showing up. The moment with the angels. Everything that had ever happened in this whole story. And in other words, she kept it close to her heart. And then what you see in scripture is she then recounted it. She shared it in detail what had happened. Once again, moms, probably many of you in this space this morning can recall that very, very clearly. If I asked you what was uh, labor like for many of you and what was it like the moment you held your son or your daughter, you can probably remember that very, very, very clearly. What happened in that moment? Luke 2, 41 to 52. Now this is teenage Jesus, so you know there's going to be some problems. I'm just kidding. Even teenage Jesus was perfect, but still. All right, here we go. 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Uh, here's what always blew me away is that there's only a question mark there. Where were you, son? We haven't seen you for four days. I don't know how you grew up. The way that I grew up, there's an exclamation, 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 maybe even a wooden spoon or something in mom's hand. Uh, maybe you can remember the time that you went to the mall or to the store or at the park and you turn around and your little one's gone and the way that you feel, felt in that moment. Uh, and then uh, overcome with the moment that you find them. You love them so much, but you kind of want to beat them. So they never do it again kind of thing, right? Can you relate to that? Okay, and so here is her response. She loses her boy for four days. Now here's what's weird. We say things all the time in the church um, that we, we put in confirmation class and we don't even consider it. Uh, one of is, one, one such aspect is, God is fully God and fully man. Does anybody really understand that? Fully God and fully man. It's next to impossible to even wrap our minds around, okay? And here's Mary as the first theologian. That fully God and fully, fully man thing, she's having to understand and deal with in real time. There's no one teaching her or coaching her up on that. And so here is this moment where she is looking for her son. She finds her son. And Jesus kind of checks mom a little bit. This is that reminder that, yeah, I'm, I'm 13 years old, but I'm also God. Where did you think I would be? And she receives this, and it even goes on to say how obedient Jesus was. So it wasn't about being a rowdy kid or an out-of-control kid. This is God hanging out with other godly people, asking questions that are blowing their mind at a 13 years of age. And then, of course, we go to uh, boy uh, Jesus here, or, or young man Jesus, in John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Ouch. Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Are you ever really um, proud of your children? You ever brag about your children? Can you imagine being at a party, which back in the day, a wedding would go on for days and days and days, and finally the, the open bar has dried up, and you happen to have as your son the one person that can keep the party going? And she goes up to him. She's concerned about the temporal need. What is the temporary need? We need some wine over here. We're running out. And if we run out, the party's over, son. And I know you can do it. So here's this weird thing, right? She's talking to him about the party. He's at the party. She's ordering up some more drinks. And what, is, what does Jesus do? He gives this deep, deep kind of, aw, answer. And what is he saying right there? I haven't... Um, my hour has not yet come. He's referring to the cup that he's going to drink from in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cup of wrath. The cup of judgment. Where he'll be publicly executed. You know, we're at a party. We're just having, trying to have a good time. I just want some more wine. And Jesus immediately checks mom. And so then what does mom do? She just goes, just do whatever he says. Okay, and what does Jesus go on to do? His first ever miracle. He turns water into wine. I'll keep the party going, but I'm going to remind you what the real purpose of my existence is. 
I mean, how difficult this must have been for Mary to be engaged with uh, the understanding this is his, her, her son, feels like her son, and yet he's also Savior and God, and he's not really at all. He's God. And you have these interactions. Then we go on to the next one. Here's a good one. Sibling rivalries. Maybe you can relate to this. John 7, 3-5. Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5. You've got to love this. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' own brothers not having it. They're tired of the, he's perfect, he never messes up, he's the one that turns water into wine, his own brothers aren't even buying it, okay? And then look at Mark verses uh, 3.20, more family drama. Then Jesus entered, entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went on to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the preachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So there you have back to back. His own family thinks he's crazy. His own family doesn't believe in what's going on. Mary is treasuring all these things up in her heart. What does that mean? She believes. But all of her other kids, Jesus is in a sense, half-siblings, they're not buying what Jesus is selling. That isn't a healthy relationship at all. And maybe you can relate to that as a parent this morning, this balancing act. Matthew 12, second to last one that we're going to read. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. Now why are they standing outside? This is on the heels of the last thing I just read. They had this sense that no one's believing. They're not buying it. The brothers aren't buying it. His family's not buying it. And now they are moving in to a place where Jesus is ministering. This happened right after that. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is your mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus again is reminding his family that I came here to save the world. That if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of God's family, it's about faith in Jesus. It's not about the blood that's running through your veins. It never indicates that Mary in any way, shape, or form is put off by that statement, is offended by that statement. She treasures all these things up in her heart. John 19, final reading. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. That disciple was John. Now what's amazing is Jesus is hanging on a cross, excruciating pain. He's been beaten to a pulp. He's within hours of death, and he has the wherewithal to still think about his, this earthly woman that God used to bring him into this earth. And he knows that without a, a someone leading, a, a male figure involved in that family, the whole structure will fall apart. 
And they're hanging on a cross. He looks at John and he says, that's your mom. Mom, there's your son. You know, if you think about a wedding day, and maybe you've had this experience uh, with your son or your daughter and watching your child kind of leave you now. They're going off to this other relationship. Talks about leaving and cleaving in Scripture. And if you think about this idea that the church is called the bride and Jesus is called the groom. And what does Jesus do? Pushes mom away. Cuts ties with mom. Gives her to John. And then moments later, what does he say on the cross? My, father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, in a matter of a few hours, loses mom, loses dad, and is on the cross as a complete orphan, experiencing hell, absolute separation from God. And he would do that so that your pain and your struggles in this place, your unanswered questions, your frustrations, maybe your broken heart, maybe the difficulties that you've had with your kids, Maybe the struggles that you've had in your marriage. Maybe the brokenness that's even in those relationships. That you would know that you'd have a God that would leave a family. That he would leave mom. He would leave dad. He would lose dad on the cross. A perfect relationship for each and every one of you. That your life would be marked by peace and hope and understanding in the midst of this mess in some cases. That God is with you. That he died for every last situation in this room. And he loves you unconditionally. And so God would give up a family. He would be an orphan on a cross to meet each and every mother's broken dreams, broken heart, broken relationships, all of her hopes and her dreams for her children. That no matter what happens, be it death or sickness or brokenness in one form or another, that God is with you. And he loves you. And he would give up those relationships so that you could have one with him. Amen.